0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground podcast. Today on the show, once again, is noise musician Arvo Zylo. But today, he will be performing the interview. It is actually a fairly old one. I forget from what year exactly. But basically, Arvo used to have a radio show in Chicago in the middle of the night on WLUW called The Delirious Insomniac Freeform Radio Show. And uh, I'll just read the description on his website real quick. The delirious insomniac freeform radio show haunted the airways on WLUW into the wee hours of dreary Monday nights from 2007 to 2014. Host Arvo Fingers used his lengthy experience as a sleepless madman to wield serialistic songs uh, and sounds into a slittering swath of for two to four hours a week. Delirious insomniac harbored occasional interviews, virtual guest installations, ghosts, hosts, and radio art. So yeah, there's a lot of noise music, lots of featured people like Marilyn Manson, Wire, uh, Alice Cooper, Iggy Pop, Blue Oyster <laughs> The Residents, Swans, uh, etc. But today we're not playing any of that shit, we're playing one of his interviews with Travis, one word, one name, all lowercase, sort of like Teller meets Bell Hooks. And uh, he is from the legendary Chicago band Ono, who I will not attempt to describe, but I will read their Statement of Purpose as listed on travistravis.com, which is obviously Travis's website. Statement of Purpose. Experimental Performance. NOISE, all capital letters. An Industrial Poetry Performance Band. Exploring gospel's darkest conflicts, tragedies, and premises. Travis has lived an am- fucking incredible life. He's an am- amazing person who's done a lot of amazing things and just survived a lot of shit. And I couldn't be happier to present this to you. I wish I could present Arvo's introduction of it, but. I accidentally recorded over our conversation about it, so that's gone. But real quick, I hope it's all right with their label, I'm going to quickly play the latest, one of the tracks, the latest Ono album called Punk, or Punks, which features, like most of the tracks on the album, Al Jorgensen of Ministry.
1: Okay. You're loud and clear. Great.
2: Okay. Say hello to the sound man.
1: Yes, sir. I sure will. Okay. Um, Well, uh, my first question should probably, being that this is going to be on the radio and it's going to be in print, uh, I want to try to give you a good introduction by way of our first questions, although some of these questions have been answered in other articles and things like that. Okay. Uh now you started out uh you were playing piano as a child and uh you were you were getting yelled at for tying wooden blocks to your fingers and things like that and you were um you were influenced heavily by gospel you, you, what, what kind of music were you playing as a child
2: uh as a child actually I was playing Whatever my teacher told me to play, I had this—a um, teacher who was um, not particularly gospel-oriented, uh, but she uh, she was a, what my mother considered a good piano teacher. I don't know what that meant, uh, but I did drills and drills and drills and drills, and nothing that is memorable. And that was one teacher, but my grandmother had a different teacher in mind. And she um, did concentrate on um, not so much gospel, but um, like music of the sort that was played um, and sung at Tuskegee and places like that, where um, where um, you had big choirs and and a very uh, and a very formal piano behind it and. Um, and of course, uh none of it made any sense to me. Uh but yes, I did attach sticks to my fingers one day because I, I played the piano in my grandmother's parlor on Sundays. And uh so one day I um I took I attached these sticks to my fingers and um and made all this racket, uh which I uh, did. <laughs> Uh, it was fun for me. Actually, it wasn't fun because there was a reason I did that. But I did. I made all that noise, and that was the end of the piano lessons. But but there were other issues that led up to making all that noise, and and it had had as much to do with how I was perceived and treated by um, uh, by males in the community um, that caused me to attach these sticks to my fingers. So it wasn't just because I didn't uh, care for music, because I didn't, and and music didn't mean a thing to me then doesn't now. But the other side of your question was the Gospel. Yes, I actually collected anything that um, somebody I recall, came to our house, some students and I don't remember where they were from, but they were selling um, Columbia Record Club subscriptions that you could get these free uh Thursday and and without my mother's approval or anybody's I I joined and got everything that I could find by Mahalia Jackson, uh, which disturbed uh, everybody in our household because suddenly these records started coming, and I had managed, and somebody had accepted my word for it. There's a flashback. Accepted my word that I was in any kind of position to order these records, and they wouldn't stop. Of of course, eventually they would stop. But by then I had all these... Great Mahalia tax records, and that was it. Was worth it.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Up until the nineties, you were able to do that—to uh, order really anything you wanted under the age of eighteen. So <laughs> I, th- I think it's funny that you you were doing okay. that. Okay. Um, well, okay. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to ask because it seems like you know you weren't uh, you weren't particularly that excited about. Music as much as you were excited about sound, even at an early age, so I wonder um how things culminated for you you know uh, what was your what was what was the creative outlet of singing or or music like for you in high school, and how it sort of came to be what what Ono was and what your other projects were like well as a kid um,
2: it, I had very early on, uh, my great grandmother, um, established this church and this little community called Carter's Chapel. Um, she and her Native American husband, and, and, and this, in Carter's Chapel, and I, I was a child of three, four, five years old in that, uh, and what I did was, um, in that church and I played uh, any kind of sounds I wanted in the church and and I pretty much I guess um because it was a, a small church, a small community, it, that it, it now it feels as if I had pretty much my run of the place. But they um in doing all these things, uh it turns out uh that they liked the way I Recited, and so my teachers would have me recite at Christmas time. You know, I I'd, I'd do uh, the night before Christmas in its entirety at the church and at the school, and and that was on one side of the family in uh, Amory, Mississippi, and on uh, the other side of the family up in Itawamba, which is much much smaller, not even two hundred people are there even now uh, in that place you have a, a church and school that were pretty much combined and um, and you knew everybody in it and I I liked being in in, in that environment because um, I could then um, I could do lots of things on stage the, the school had a stage inside. I mean, it was a, a very large one-room school. Not a very large one-room, but a one-room school with all these classes in it, uh, all these grades in it. And it, it, the fun of it was that this stage meant um, that I would do all these fun things, but always by myself, as I recall. It wasn't as if I were um, interested in the public, or because I didn't have any friends? Didn't I had no interest in with anybody um, because I I lived very much along with my grandmother and my grandfather, and he was away because he taught school. So here I am in this environment in a school and a church that has that has a stage, has a piano, and all of that, and I can make all this racket with my voice, and people would accept it and not say no, you can't do that. And out of that, um, I had no real interest in getting involved in things musical or anything else because I was pretty much doing whatever I wanted to do uh, I was not a bad child, but I just was somewhat undisciplined in terms of of sound and and what it meant. but I was much more interested in ritual, I think because I created I created little churches and cemeteries and buried animals in, in, in my little cemetery and sang for the rituals and, and <laughs> made sounds for the rituals and that now that was exciting. I liked that a lot.
1: Wow, and that was uh, that was before high school?
2: Oh, yeah, long before high school, because by high school, I had to deal, of course, with high school kids because uh, I was always younger than the other kids in the class and 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 at first, I had asthma, and that came up because these people burned down a huge amount of my grandparents' land, and I was really traumatized by that because the animals burned, the forest burned it was it was a huge, huge very to this moment memorable fire, and I developed asthma out of that and and this is before i was even uh, 6 7 years old and when uh, after that happened uh, and i had this asthmatic condition these all the women in the community uh, uh gathered and had this midnight ceremony and um, and they're all dressed in white in in this in this church and they're making these sounds and it's they sound somewhat like um Gregorian chants, but they're chants and chants and chants of strange origin. I'm not sure what they were. And then they fed me like vinegar and 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 eggs, boiled eggs and eggshells that were um burned and all of this and I've not had asthma since then. Oh my it was a very strange thing that night as they did this and they were doing their prayers and making all these notes over me right there on the altar and my whole body begins to just gush of mucus and gush of and 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 this uh was very peculiar and I could go on about this because it it uh, I somehow used Induced to this memory, that um, and and it's very a clear memory even now. All of these women are all in all in black and all in, in dressed in white and white towels and and these eggshells and the smell of eggshells, the smell of vinegar, the smell of these plants and all of that. And I've not had any hint of um, uh, of asthma since then, but. Uh, by the same token, I'm, I'm off the track. That was not your question at all. I'm
1: sorry, Arvo. Oh, no, that, that's okay. really interesting to me because you know my initial question is is uh, how did it how did you become a singer? You know, so that's a uh, uh, that's very interesting. and It also makes me think of you know you using rituals, and then all of a sudden this uh, ostensibly Christian uh, uh, gathering, which Really seems a lot like a ritual. <laughs> uh, it
2: is, and it, it and it's not. Enti- it wasn't entirely Christian because my folks remember uh, were native, and there's this, there's this, there's this, uh, this strange um, overlay of of Black Christianity, which is of it, uh, which on its own is very strange, and Pentecostalism. And Native American ritual, because the, my folks are on that side of the family are Native American, and so remember, the, and there are no images of crosses in this church at all. Uh, only in the last um, last decade or so have they even I uh, have have they put up uh, you know, crosses and and the sign of deliverance in the in Christian tradition. So, I'm sorry, yes, but that does, uh, it's the ritual as much as anything else that I love. And I love Catholic ritual, for instance, um, even though there are some very strange, strange counterparts and, and, and underlays, um, the idea of the ritual and how the ritual makes you feel and, and when, when I'm getting dressed for a performance, it is the the dressing is part of the ritual. You're making this transition from one facet to another, or or playing multi facets, and and that for me is very exciting. It, it 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 appeals to me on on a level that I probably don't like to think about that much, but a level that I like to do because it thrills me through and through
1: yeah that's a question that I would have asked um uh about your your wardrobe it i i I wanted to know you know I know that you 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 almost always wear white when you perform mm-hmm. and uh i know that there's at least some level of symbolism going on but um you know i i didn't know to what degree so that's interesting that you you say that that uh well, the fight comes in. Um,
2: you you mentioned, and I don't know uh, how we got to it earlier. Kundalini, but Kundalini comes much later in my world. It comes, in fact, um, while I was in Cleveland, I studied. Studying Kundalini, uh, Kundalini yoga. Um, and, uh, there, of course, uh, Kundalini, uh, uh, Sikhs always wear white cotton. Um, and it's worn, uh, 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 because of, of the relationship, uh, to your auric presence, expanding your auric presence, and it's very hard to hide behind it. You can, your thinking is very clear in, in when you're wearing all of that, um, uh, or what you're th- thinking becomes clear to those who can read it, um, but the fight I started wearing then in the ashram, but the problems I had in the and I was on my way too, uh, to, to give up my world of uh, surrender, if you will, because that's what Kundalini meant to me: the surrender, relinquishing uh, you know the will to something else and, uh, and, and that something else. Kundalini uh, appealed to me very deeply uh, for a lot of reasons I can talk about another time, but the white, of course. Uh, it's what I was wearing when I came here on my way to New Mexico to study with Harbajan Singh Kalsa Yogi Ji, and uh, and so realizing how it works in the light and 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 and, and the sense of of being able to not to conceal uh, when you're wearing white, um, the, uh, it, it great uh, it appealed to me and that. The way that white works on stage and in the light, of course um is important to me, of course, it's not just the white but um but because of the way most stage lighting works later and and the and the harshness of it, and how much else is working in the state. Um, your 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 presence is magnified when uh, uh, there's white and and the white in the white light, and also there are other uses of color. Um, um, but I I like to use those. Uh, when I'm, I'm outside, when people are un, uh, 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 undisturbed by, for instance, the kinds of lighting that you'll see on, on uh, most theater stages, not just theater stages, but on uh, music stages. I do, uh, I studied a bit about um, theater lighting, uh, just a, a, a tiny bit, um, but uh, with it of course um, there it's a very different a very much more emotional lighting um, but that's just the lighting in terms of costuming I like to see you that when I'm on stage I can I uh, there's a freedom and a flexibility uh, that that I can that I can explore which which gives me um, which which gives me a level of fun, uh, that I, uh, that I mean, it's, it's, it's another way of, of looking at how, who are the people that I am. And the, the, the stage can give me that. I can be a lot freer there than I can, for instance, in specific environments where, um, where uh, I'm, I'm forced to be one person or one character at a time, I can write many characters within, say, a 20-minute performance, and character is very important to what uh, I do as Travis uh, or what I do as Bono. So th- that has a lot to do with... Uh, with the costuming. Another part of it, of course, is uh, the, is the frocks that I wear. I love wearing incredible gowns, and I have hundreds of them in my basement. Not just gowns, but costuming um, in general, um, but the gowns specifically because of of of, of what it what of what does it mean to the viewer to see this old black man there performing whatever it is I'm performing, but changing into that character through that gown and through those words and through all that noisy racket in front of you so that it allows the the viewer a sense of of, um, of concealment, if you will. Um, So...
1: Oh, sorry. i'm I'm <laughs> Go ahead <laughs> Oh no that that's I'm satisfied with that answer i' I'm, I'm glad that you were willing to elaborate. Um, but you know there's a lot of things there are a lot of things that are peculiar about um the way that you came to to work with sound and music. I mean you know mm-hmm. I, I there are very few people that I've seen play a tabletop guitar. I I hardly ever see it at all, and I'm just curious how that came to be. Things like that. Team
2: Michael forced me. Um, I I love the sound of, of the lap steel, of course. Uh, being from Mississippi, uh, you uh, you hear it in country western. A lot, but of course, um, uh, its origins have more to do with Hawaiian uh, music. But uh, when I got to Chicago on my way to New Mexico, and and ran into Kathy Brooks via her mother uh, at the Northwestern University School of Law, where they did not mind if I wore frocks. Even then, yes, I have video footage of yours truly running around as a supervisor wearing long dresses at the law school. And <laughs> that's another story. So I run into this, little, well, another person who worked there was Amanda Wallace Brooks, and her daughter Kathy would come as over six feet tall, wild, wild black woman with all this red hair that just stood out way, you know, three, four inches, five, six, seven inches a foot from her hand. I mean, very hippie style, and she carried a gun, and she carried a machete and everything. Well, she had come to visit her mother at house, and she was incredibly fun. She wanted to know about me. She wanted to know all my business, and I didn't have a choice, but I gave her my poetry and stuff to read, and she then passes it on to her friend P. Michael, and P. Michael immediately comes to the office and says, we are going to form a, a, a performing group. To do this work. Actually, I was working on a piece called The Nigger Queen, uh, which uh, it still isn't done, but the uh, T. Michael decided we are going to do all of this stuff. And in January 5th, 1980, he starts the band. I give it its name because I said, okay, I, I, I'm okay, except that I don't want to uh, be limited by music because I am not interested in music. I don't like it, don't care about it, have no interest in doing it, but I do want to do um, some kind of sound environment that that, that is fun to do. Um, I mean, really fun, and, and and that I wouldn't be nervous about going out on stage at any time, no matter what. I wanted it to be fun, and it is still fun, I'm happy to say, because then P. Michael said, okay, that well, a few weeks later. He says, I want you to go to Clark Pawner's and buy this, and he called it a dobro. It's not a dobro, it's a last guitar, but it has dobro tuning, and P. Michael responds to the tuning. So I go to Clark Pawner's, and I don't know, I think it was $50 maybe, or whatever, and I buy this, and he says, Don't get lessons. Okay, I didn't get lessons. And that meant that I could play with making all this noise that I felt suited what the words were about and what the environment that we were creating was about. Because Kathy was a Shakespearean actress, and she would recite Shakespeare, and I'd be doing Travis Words and all this racket and P. Michael would be making all this. It was a lot of fun. And so that's how this lap steel comes in. Many years later, I actually advertised to the, uh, who are these people in Chicago, Uh, the Old Town School of Folk Music, if anybody was available to give me some lessons. And by then, I had, Five lap steel guitars, and this this guy Ken Champion, a cowboy, gave me lessons. He said, "Okay, here's my fee if you'll pay this. I will come to your house every other week, and and uh, for an hour, and then that's, But that was many many years after. That was like nineteen ninety, and we had been doing it. Since 1980 by then and then he decided he would give me lessons on the gibson not said for me gibson bender none of it made a difference but for him the gibson was the one and that's what i i got the real lessons on much later, many many years later
1: now i uh i guess it 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 didn't cross my mind until until this conversation but um you were from, leaving from Cleveland on your way to New Mexico, and you happened to run into P. Michael on the way. You were initially planning on giving up all your belongings and going to New Mexico, but you ran into P. Michael at a gas station or something like that. <laughs> actually,
2: wasn't at the gas station. It was through Kathy. Kathy actually um, introduced us because he is a very dear friend of Kathy Brooks and Kathy's mother was at Northwestern University School of Law um uh, as an administrator and she and I worked together I had planned to be here just for the summer, then I continue on to New Mexico because I figure i 've got time i 'm giving up all my earthly possessions. This is my last hurrah, my last fling, my last book at world because by that time, I was quite happy with giving up everything I' studied Kundalini when I was in Cleveland, I was completely immersed in 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 things like. Well, I studied Kundalini, but I also was studying uh, Krishna consciousness, and uh, I was studying Krimtai martial arts uh, at the American Kung Fu Karate Federation, um, and I was attending uh, uh, meetings of the Theosophical Society and all this stuff about brotherhood and philosophy and and comparative religions and. And getting even further into Kundalini. Well, I loved Kundalini and still do, but the problems had as much then had as much to do with my world then as now. In yeah, yes. Hello. Hello.
1: Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I. It seems like you were going to keep going, and all of a sudden, I heard silence.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, Uh. Well, yes. Um, So I at that point. I, I was doing all of these things, and Kundalini um, had one issue that was that didn't make me happy. Everything about the study was great, but what I didn't care for, um, and and I'm bringing you something. Because I wonder why. No matter what happened with P. Michael and Kathy, why I didn't just go on. But uh, but, um, and I wonder if it was, though I don't think it was because. Even that with, uh, as evolved as the Kundalini Sikhs were, they thought I was the strangest character on the face of the earth, and, and I didn't understand that. They um uh they would they they had the uh, we had this ashram in beautiful uh, overlooked Drive, very very upscale. Cleveland, very rich, if you will, Um, at this huge mansion we lived in and studied in, and they would put me outside to do landscaping so that people wouldn't be shocked at seeing me, and then they were—they never—they—they uh, they didn't understand why I wouldn't just give up my job uh, at the kid computer center where I was a supervisor of uh, of computers in a in uh, a, a, a high security uh, a high security Department of Defense um, agency, and loved it, and would then go on with my duties uh, with Kundalini and uh, and. And still uh, I would wear spike <laughs> shoes, open toed tops with like kundalini wipes and it disturbed <laughs> the seats <laughs> I really <it> a lot. <laughs> and so uh that, that never co- I thought, you know, when you that evolved, what uh, what what do the outer trappings need anyways? And then I could ask that as much, well, and if it didn't mean anything, well, why did you do it? Well, you have to wear something. And I loved wearing high-heeled, open-toed pumps, and I would wear them along with my Kundalini art. Well, um, I wonder if any of that had to do with my staying here and finding a place on stage where I could wear anything I want or do anything or nothing at all i uh, I don't think that it did, but it does concern me that those kinds of restrictions almost fascistically are applied almost religiously um but uh everybody gets a uniform, I guess the Krishna's, we have uniform Kundalini there's the uniform uh and then I was going dancing all the time in Cleveland. you asked about the bars i was in I was dancing every weekend in the bars.
1: I just found out about uh, you were writing poetry for an occult-oriented magazine in Cleveland before you left, and I uh, I wondered what your involvement with that was. Uh, You know, to what extent. Was it because I obviously haven't been able to see the poetry? I mean, these magazines are going for $500 or something like that. <laughs> but-
2: I have to run across a copy of this. Um, I was answering somebody on Facebook last week, and wow, what pops up was an ad um, for the Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic. Um, we had Way, way, way back. Actually, I wasn't in Cleveland then. The Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic was just from uh, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. But it was after I left. After when I was in Cleveland, I was doing a lot of writing, a lot of writing, loved writing, and I could perform the writing. And there was all this stuff going on on stage in Cleveland that did. Performances at the Eastman Reading Gardens—all those wonderful places that that I've actually mentioned last time because a couple of years ago. Then, well, um, when I got to Chicago and and was still writing, I found this wonderful uh, occult bookstore um, on Clark Street, and I, I was attracted to it because it was such a strange spot. I think it's where the Guitar Center is now, it's right, at Chicago, uh, at Belmont and And it it was a very odd place, and I went looking in uh, to see, well, what is it they do here? What is the work like And then I ran into all this wonderful poetry, and as I looked at the stuff, I saw this beautiful magazine there. The Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic. The words were so beautiful. The 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 presentation, the covers, the drawings, the calligraphy, all of that was very, very beautiful. Appealed to me greatly. In instantly. So I said, Woo, I want I wanna see what this is like. So I bought a copy and turns out it was either their first or second copy ever. And and they, they asked for submissions. And at the same time, I was writing these what I considered very beautiful pieces. Actually Ola still performs these pieces. This is nineteen seventy seven. I've just arrived in Cleveland in seventy in Chicago, seventy six. And in seventy seven I'm up and down Lincoln Avenue, which is where everybody Read poetry. There were a million coffee shops. And the Great American Coffee House was the place to read because the politicians would even come and hang out and read, and, and, and Joffrey Stewart and all those folks. And Joffrey's still around at the University of Chicago. So I was doing these things. So I submitted to this, and they loved this. Uh, they loved my work. First I you I, I sent a piece and they said, Do you have more? And at that point I was I had I was writing in series. I had a series of seven pieces called Tango Delta. And they said, Please send it all. Uh we want to publish it and then after that they uh, they told me when and then another um uh, they asked for more and I said more. Then Um, They had a change of command, a, um, a new editor, and that turned into a very, very strange, peculiar situation because the new editor, or the old editor, was uprooted. He wanted to take my poetry with him to his new magazine. The old the. Yeah, the old one was taking part it to this new magazine. The new editor said, "No, it belongs to the Cincinnati Journal ceremony." Of Magic and we and, and, and this row went on for a month, And I had to finally put it into it, and okay, their case gets published in the Cincinnati Journal. And then I gave another collection to the other guy, the outgoing guy, to make him happy. So now there are all these very beautiful volumes out there. And it cost five hundred dollars. I can't imagine that. I still have a hard time thinking that what I'm saying now is worthy of being on the radio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't know. You know, this is. A, I think I've maybe asked you four, or five questions or something like that, and we're all we're, we're pretty well into it. You know, it's a. You're definitely a very interesting subject, Travis. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, actually, uh, thank you very much. And when you said when you said, "Okay, we we're going to talk about art, bars, Kundalini, and the Navy," I thought I could focus. And then I thought, well, gee, there are all these things. What about what? What period in the Navy? What about the arts? What about the bars? Because bars are uh, bars now. That's where all this, is, is, there's a lot of racket in the bars. Uh, um, so I thought. See, this could take a lot of time just for bars alone because it was bars that I had the big fun when I was in Cleveland and then coming to Chicago and looking, looking at the differences because it was in Cleveland, these, these dance bars like uh, Mother's, the Orchid Room, Twiggies, and all these places where I went dancing everywhere, because uh, they were all around you. There were all these rock and roll people, of course, uh, located in the area of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now, the Gallon Theater and all that. But There were all these dance bars, right? it was the dance bars that I liked because I wanted to dance. And and the rock and roll people didn't dance. They said, whoa, man, this is good. But they didn't. <laughs> I wanted to dance. And so I went to dance bars and these gay bars where you would get dressed up and, and you, you walked in, and, and they had jukeboxes. Can you imagine that? Or you, maybe you can't. Jukeboxes were the sound. That kind, but I mentioned that only because I I focused on uh, just some areas that you said you might want to chat about, and so I just started thinking, okay, well, what about that? So I've had the... It's circulating so it's probably a bit disjointed right now but it's more focused than it would be As you said okay we're gonna talk what do you want to talk about
1: <laughs> well you know uh, there are a lot of things and you know obviously there's plenty of ways to to go on tangents but you know it, it's a it's an open-ended thing you know it it's a four-hour long radio show if it needs to be and it could be longer probably if i if i needed to make it that way but um the, you know these questions are interesting to me because you um, you didn't you didn't see you didn't discover punk rock and say oh this is what I need in my life you um, you're already kind of I don't know to speak in terms to speak in terms, of, to, to speak in terms <laughs> of cliches you know you were thinking outside of the box already and, I was uh,
2: lost <laughs> well it's very lost I'm still lost but noise helps me <laughs> Yeah, yes sir thank you
1: well it's good that you um it's good that you're still doing it um i i also i also did want to ask i wondered if you ever had any interest in in working with dance music or conventional music at any point being that you you do dance and you know you, you were going to these these dance bars and stuff uh you know i know that you had a friendship with al jorgensen while he was doing his dance music and i just wondered um You know, if you ever did want to do conventional dance music or anything like that, it seems like you, you know, you've always been interested in something that's a little bit more riled up.
2: I have never wanted to do music, ever. I uh, um, have... I, I, I actually P Michael is really the responsible party behind what I'm doing now, and I, I would probably be in the ashram. But because he wanted to do sounds and environments, that appeal probably to that same person I mentioned earlier, who was uh, on the stage in Mississippi, and uh, or even in my grandmother's parlor uh, with sticks on my I mean, uh, that appeals to me, and once I got to Chicago and, 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 and started via, uh, Dean Louise Love at Northwestern University studying art, then, oh my God, all of these possibilities opened uh, to me that I had even thought of, because of you would never think art in Mississippi, of course, no such thing, but once here and looking at, well, there's you can combine genres, you can combine these disciplines and and have freedom and flexibility as much as you dare um, you pay the price, but hey, if you want to do it here in Chicago is a place building people will let you do it they will and 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 that is the fun part uh, for me because in grad school and undergrad. I was doing, uh, overlays of sounds and, and, and it didn't matter how I made these sounds anymore. Um, and of course that could, uh, relate in a way to, um, dance music. I'm sure that there are experimental approaches to dance music, but, um, I just haven't had the, time or the reason to think in that direction, um, maybe before I'm dead or be fond use uh, the, the computers that I have now and the, and the sonic uh, software and have some fun with it, but um, I, 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 at the moment, I really need a lot of stuff. Going on, stuff like the words that can be heard, the the sounds that aren't just easily measured but have surprise in them and have elements that, elements of hiddenness and concealment against something fun is happening. I'm having fun when I'm up there, I, or, or, and it may be personal, but it, it, it's it's
1: it's a show. Yeah. Uh that's another thing that I think is interesting. Uh you know, the the Ono album, I hope I pronounce it right, NUI. Uh I'm and we okay. I'll, okay. I'll remember that from now on. Um it is uh it is there are no overdubs, but it's still a pretty thick recording. It's you know, it's it's a pretty dense sound. And uh I wondered if you were working with multi-tracking and, you know, overdubbing and things like that to make these sound environments. But it seems like you're more about doing it all at once and just making a big racket uh, instead of...
2: Yes, we did. But uh, Making a giant racket. And, and once I've made that giant racket the first time, I will go back and overdub if I am asked. Do so, but uh, but I also think that other people should have fun too. If the sound engineer has something that he or she can hear that they want to experiment with, I love the idea of transformation and overlay.
1: Were, were you doing things like with with uh, with multi-track recordings or anything like that? Because uh, I, I know that you mentioned overlaying and. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that there are some Ono recordings that haven't been released, or if they are released, they were very limited edition, you know, decades ago. But um, it seems like there's there's a lost part of Ono that I feel like some of that would have been exercised, I guess. Maybe not. (laughs) That's a conversation
2: you ought to have with T. Michael. He'd love to have him. He'd love to chat about that. Um, I go into the studio, or when we go into the studio, um, it it's it, it, it actually is rather like an ono show. We go in, and we do all of these things straight through, and it's an ono show, and when it's done, it's done. If somebody wants, if the sound engineer or... Michael or any member um of the band wants to do some overlays, and I'm willing to do so, but would I my own volition say uh, go back and 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 or put in more tracks i wouldn't i'm i'm for me, it's done. I'm I'm halfway down the down the block um, <laughs> doing something else, and I feel that people should have fun with it. The other members should have fun. With it. The sound engineers should have fun with it. And in the meantime, I'm thinking about how to put it on on stage and have some fun with the live version of it because I don't want the live version to sound like the studio.
1: Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Um when you were and I know I've heard the story about uh Cubby Bear, you know, the, some of those stories uh about Ono oh performances. And uh you know, if, if there are any if there are any more funny stories you'd like to share, this would be a great place for it because you know, I I'm sure the readers would enjoy it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. I don't know. Funny stories. I don't know. Do we have any funny stories? My world is... Um, i have to think about that because um, offhand, it's been a long, long 1980 to uh, 2011. So in uh, what is uh, funny now is you know, very often funny in retrospect, and the great, the great tra- meaning that you can look at at tragedy through a, a comic eye. But um, I haven't. I guess I've been along for the ride, um, and and hasn't thought of of and hasn't looked at the experience uh, in the same way say, um, your reader or viewer might um, because very often I will do or go wherever P. Michael says do or go as long as it sounds like it's going to be a fun venue. And sometimes those things get very strange, like you get to places and, wow, the lights have gone out and it's in the middle of winter. Oh, well, Ono's still going to play because we've God candles that Travis was going to make this huge <laughs> altar out of, and then of course there was the time when we had candles and created the altar for a film up, uh, in fact where Enemy is located now, created this giant altar it was so beautiful, and I knew all these candles and white placed everywhere, and the wind came through the window and set the lace of fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and it's all caught a video, of course we put it out, but, uh, but I mean, if there we are having this, like it's like ritual. We've got mannequins and these candles and it's all going, and then suddenly, bam, there's fire. <laughs> it was so weird. Then, of course, in Indiana, we went down this very cool person from Pile of Cows. Uh, was filming no uh, in in down near East Chicago, actually, um, uh, where the uh, those giant chimneys with fire pumping out of them are located, not far from where I live, actually. And and he wanted to to film us, and we of course said yes. We are down there. We're still filming, and and all the fire is pumping and it. I mean it's very toxic and all this, and as we're filming away. Security comes and throws us out, and they get it on film. And those kinds of things have been fun stories for me. And we got lots of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a funny story. I mean, I, I just know, you know, I'm imagining now. Uh, now we kind of uh, take the fact that venues are going to be around for granted, but I think that in the early 80s, you know the ability to play somewhere was much more rare and also you know you had a lot more adversity there are a lot of people getting beaten up just to play punk rock so you take ono in the mix and i think there's a lot more there's probably a lot more adversity and plus you you guys were playing in abandoned warehouses or in the ruins of burned out buildings and yep i, I just you know i can't help but touch on that part i have to at least ask about that kind of stuff to me it's well, that's it's very interesting
2: part of the fun
1: yeah, I mean it seems like a lot of fun to me but you know as you say in it's easy to laugh about it when it was a no. long time ago <laughs> but um I don't know um I'd love to play in a in a burned out building but at the same time if the ruins are still smoldering you know that's uh, that's dangerous for electrical <laughs> reasons It is dangerous however uh Ona was never limited
2: to conventional equipment uh, when Pilot Cows had the fight, actually, it was so much fun to play with Pilot Cows person two weeks ago at um, at the Empty Bottle. I was there, cool. Years since I fire, but the, uh, they 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 had this building out. I think it was in flames, and it burned. And and so what did they do? They organized their their. Band, and they considered us one of those and said, Come, it's, it's burning and we've got to have a party. So no, packs up our, uh, our stuff, noise making, you see, and out we go. And the, the ruins of it is just this Cadillac that, that's still smoldering. And the tree, the branches are still smoldering. And there I am in all this white lace up in the tree with. With with a, a, a length of chain and and metal garbage can tops, reciting occult poetry. I mean <laughs> that uh, that was that was that kind of thing is is much fun. But of course, yes, you mentioned the danger. There are always danger. But um, by then, um, I'd gotten pretty used to danger. And after all, I remember. Um, I had, long before I got to Cleveland or even got to the military, I had, I have had issues, life-threatening issues all along regarding people simply because, uh, because in the black community, uh, if you Look like Travis and act like travis and and all that you get called names and one of those uh, people I uh, mentioned this a couple weeks ago in in the in the music world who said that you're a punk and uh, and punk band and that you go well punk I, I told me something very different in the black community in every black community I've ever been in, and even when I was in Mississippi, the idea of being called a punk was was myth. Uh, It was extreme. It didn't mean that your that you, that, you know, limbs could be broken, but it also means that you have no right to live. People get killed. Men who are thought to be punks uh, are thought to be men who wear women's clothes and and are not, and and who like men and don't like women. Uh, That's, uh, of course, a limitation that's, uh, that's, that's, Pretty far out, but um, even though it isn't even that isn't even true in the black community, it is a perception that there's that you do not have the right to in. I shouldn't use uh, the overarching black community, but in every black community I've ever been in, the idea of being called a punk means that people can can do anything to you and and will not be punished for doing so, because you don't have the same right to live as straight people do. And that's a very, and, and, and that has been there all of my life. My mother's friends uh, used to call me very, very bad names, um, uh, and, it, um, and punk being one of them. And I had to grow up with that. That, that also links to the story of the, the sticks on my fingers, because I used to get called bad. I went to church every Sunday I, with with my Bible and the whole nine yards. Yes, I could recite the Bible from one into the other, and these mean, mean, evil preachers who had very bad things to say to me, um, um, who... Who would not? Who would never consider defending me? And, um, yet, at that age, at, uh, this is before I was even a teenager, and, and they're telling me how what a bad creature I am, not human. You don't get the respect of being called a human being. There is that sub. You are subhuman when you become called this punk creature, and so when I would be called these these wild and wicked names at school, on the way to church, and everywhere. And then one evening, these the guys, much older than me, attacked me just blocks from my house. And I was protected only by one of my mom's friend's sons, who was a huge guy. And he said, leave him alone, because they were going to strip all my clothes up. They had started and attached me to a it was very bad, and and, and of course you knew they'd get away with it. And, and I of course had no recourse. It, nothing happened. But after that, I mean, I was absolutely terrified. By it. But two weeks after that, two perhaps three weeks, I don't recall exactly, but I recall the incident. Coming back from piano class, I go past. The, the baseball field where they are playing, and I recognized these guys, and one of the guys who did the bad thing to me, and I had this complete breakdown, I'm sure it was a breakdown of some sort, and I went up to him, something I would never have done, I went up to him with a baseball bat, and I picked it up from the side, he me, and began and began beating him on the back and he fell and I just beat him upon the face with him until he bled and bled and bled and bled and and people had very bad things to say to me about that and my mother came home from work and her words to me were I am going to beat your ass to a true perfection come Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and she
1: did Wow well um, that's well I don't know for for good or ill, you know there's uh the something that is really admirable about you is is a sort of dichotomy where you're a, a very free spirited person, but you're also a very disciplined person and it's 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 very rare to see that you know uh, I was going to maybe ask you about how that how that worked with you in the service, but maybe <laughs> i i don't want to be too prying that uh, for that story
2: um, I'd, I'd love to to uh, to uh, talk about that I don't know how much time you have though because there are areas and are, there there's layer upon layer um uh, in the military because I spent six years in the military member and uh, when I got to the military, I I I hadn't. But I remember I mean, I mean, when you have a high security clearance, they do big background checks on you and all of that. And even after my background checks and and my security clearance had cleared and all everything. I was pursued for six years because uh, the Office of Civil Intelligence uh, wanted to convince me or themselves or someone that I had committed sodomy at some point in my life. And they never found any, 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 any person or any, any instance of this. I mean, um, but, and of course I couldn't have, I had not, but they were convinced. And and I, I'm not. I don't know who tried to. I think communication in communications. Of course, you have to have security clearances. If you have the security clearance, you have. Uh, um, you cannot be thought as being queer. You can't be thought as being. Uh, uh, I uh, think. Tra- well, Travis, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: You uh, you you broke up there a little bit. I, I lost the last end of that sentence there
2: okay um uh, what, uh if you have a high security clearance, you are not um going uh, you can't uh, keep or you can't actually can't get it if you uh have a record or if you're queer or if there's any um if the, uh, there are a, a number of factors however uh for reasons for for reasons that I have no clue. The military, the U.S. Navy, did decide that I had committed sodomy. They never found any any, any person or any instance of it, but it meant that I went through years of lie detector tests. It meant I went through years of being followed. It meant and over and over and ultimately I said, you know, I love being in the military. I I had a great time in the military. Love the military. But being followed and being and and getting lie detector tests about sodomy over and over and over again was was unterrible. Um especially since it was something in Mississippi you would never even say the word sodomy and I, and, and I just when I was seventeen years old. My mother signed, um, and I got—we got these papers in the mail, um, and and they said um, it was really weird. The papers uh, when you joined in 1963, the there was, um, uh, there, was there is there uh, is uh, the Department of Defense sent you this batch of, of papers, and at the bot the last few questions were, have you ever uh, engaged in unnatural carnal copulation with another person of the same sex? And, 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 and you have to answer yes or no. And, oh, but this person of the same sex, penetration, however slight, uh, is sufficient to complete the offense, is this great phrase. I never forgot, love that phrase. Penetration, however slight, is sufficient to complete the offense yes or no then the next question if your answer was yes would you be active or passive partner <laughs> that's how i, I that just Totally freaked me out. I joined anyways uh, because, hey, I was 17. I wanted to see the world. And boot camp was great. Got through and went to A school, got my security clearance, went to school. and, And then I get my choice of duty stations, go to Cuba, and on my 19th birthday, I get called for a full day of interrogation in which my body was strapped in with wires and cables, and I was, they tried to force me, or a single man, uh, I remember his name to this very day, what he wore, what he smelled like, and everything else, and he tried to convince me that I was a sodomite. The word sodomy over and over in different contexts, have you ever, did you not understand this date or that date, over and over and over. And all these machines are around me, and they are gauging my response. This went on a full day. And when I got back to the barracks that night, six of the communicators I was close to disappeared entirely they have never been heard from since their beds were turned back their lockers cleared out their names removed from all records and imagine how that made me feel it was like that wow
1: wow uh did you did you see battle were you know um were you on the front line or anything like that
2: i I did not um but I did see um I, well, I shouldn't say uh, no uh, I was not engaged in direct killing of human beings. I was trained to do so uh trained to kill in Cuba and during the during the Dominican Republic conflict as part of that and um and 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 the reason was, as a communicator, of course your first task is to make sure that Communications lines are clear um, and 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 so you get training in in weaponry, which I loved. i you know i had I kept my gun absolutely oiled and clean all the time but <laughs> um, but, but most important thing for me was my purpose and my purpose was as a communicator to make sure that um, both her out there in the in, in the line of fire uh, were protected by good communications and 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 I and and I liked being in that role.
1: Wow. Well, uh, a question that comes up from that is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not a very political person, but I wonder uh, what your stance is on gun rights. Would you say that uh, you know everybody should have a right to bear arms, or do you think it's a bad thing?
2: Well, the the Constitution gives you the right to bear arms, and so I, uh, I do not speak against the Constitution. Um, there are a lot of things that the Constitution gives you the right to do that uh, we have to do. I have a... a in terms of my uh, a personal opinion, I haven't formed one, and I like being in the position of being um, being a writer who can observe and not have to take a stance. However, I am being very close to people on several sides of of, of that question, and one uh, one person, a, a lawyer, um, uh, whose who, uh, whose who's lectures I, I never miss when he speaking publicly because it's a scream he said uh, and says often that yes he everyone should have the right to bear arms and not only that he feels that you should um, you should be able um, to carry your weapons um, and not conceal it as, say, in Texas, you can carry it, but, uh, uh conceal And not conceal it says that that is the best way of reducing crime, because uh, each person will see, um, uh, will get, a, get a, a good sense of how long they would last because of the size of the other person's weapon. Uh, when they can see it, I mean, and when, and, and 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 I have, uh, I have a lot of trouble with that of course but at the same moment we don't know at this point in history why do people carry weapons um, uh, as a black person i am uh, i am either, i'm much more appalled at, that black folks do not understand um, that that the revolution uh, goes on without them what can you do how can you advance Thinking uh, without weaponry. If you don't believe that there should be weaponry, how can you advance uh, America's thinking without the use of that form of force? How many ways are there to get your point across? Do we really understand language? And and with uh, and the amount of cynicism um, that 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 I see. Uh, around me, uh, I find intriguing because people are doing uh, and being the very people that the new world gives them the right to be. So if they're killing each other off in droves with their concealed or unconcealed weapons, this is the world that we have created, but we continue to create that world. does it mean that, that at some point we, we call a halt to what we consider Constitution and say, okay, well, now we've got means of killing people on the other side of the world without ever drawing a weapon? What are we going to do about, uh, about the weapons that are on the south side of Chicago? Then, yes, those conversations... Uh, will happen, but I think they only happen when people really want them to happen and uh, and and then I should i need to define well then what people um, make those decisions um, we, you know, we 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 might get uh, we may think that art is not political, but all art is political always, and so um so there are ways of carrying your gun without having wep- weaponry and bullets. You've got you've got words. You've got sounds. Um, uh, you've got all this racket. You can ask, well, what kind of sounds do veterans make? What kinds of sounds do people who have fought wars? Make what is it they are trying to say? what do they have to offer? what do they have to share with us i don 't know. I have no sense of that um, and and would i would I carry guns if i had if I felt I had reason to probably not um, because simply because of the the death that i've seen and um and And it does mean no good, of course, to talk about how how people die and 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 the fact that mothers uh, for every person that dies, there is this mother whose reason do we not identify with with mothers and women, and what is the relationship that we share with women when we say that war should go on in the traditional sense I don't know i uh, I think that uh, on one level, we will do what we will do. That seems um, uh, that seems non-philosophical because that's what always of course, happens. But do we is there something that we want from what we do, and can we define it over, say, short terms and then advance the argument? say, five years down the road or ten years down the road, this is somewhat like marriage. Shouldn't you be married forever and ever and ever and ever? Well, is marriage a natural state? No, it isn't. But then um, it's a sense of order. Um, there's, there are so many facets to it that, in the end, it, for me, is better to be able to observe it and, and find my own peace within it um, and although I haven't found that piece within it I'm just having fun with what is happening
1: yeah I think that's a great way to look at it uh, I have a as I said I, I'm also not a political person and I've I've been trying to think of ways to explain this because uh, if you say you're apolitical then it must mean that you're apathetic so you know yeah. I, I don't typically feel that way I just don't think that I'm particularly inclined to be, you know, an activist or someone who can uh, protest and really change anything.
2: Well, maybe you don't see yourself that way, but I do. When I see your your show, such as the show that you did um, at, in, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, or um, the show following that uh, here in at the theater, the Viaduct Theater, Highly political.
1: Huh. Well, I, I had never thought of that. Uh, the idea of something being political, uh, I always think of you know an outside force. Uh, for me, those, those things were were just basically personal. More about, uh, I guess you know, it, it is a political. It is political in a sense, but um, I think in terms of um, environmental issues and uh, you know societal concerns that uh, I'm going to be who I am, uh, regardless of, you know, that's uh, talking to people who are politically involved in a, in a little, in a more literal sense, uh, Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a difficulty with that, you know, um, talking to the people who will tell you, you know, uh, if you're not part of change, you're part of the problem and stuff like that. But I, I appreciate that. That's a great compliment
2: well um i being from the sixties of course there was um there were many many ways of being politically active and I was out there in the thick of it I was out there um, uh, in doing research and 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 it, and of course you couldn't. Say that that was not activist as well because the people who were behind the scenes sitting in the library digging up the numbers on the Department of Defense which was the big issue of the day um, and the Vietnam War well I had been to Vietnam and I had been in communication and there were many things I could not say because of my security clearance and all of those things but yes I did, in fact, go down to Washington and get tear gas and all that goes with that and get rescued by the weathermen, the weather on the ground and, and, and learn to respect groups like that as well. They are, a, a bit, I don't see their art really as being any different from you're wearing a mask on a stage that, that, that you are torching. I mean, uh no it, it it's a, it's as strong a strongest statement to people who have looked at political movements um, there are many of us uh, were, I mean, at operation push uh, it was really uh, wonderful to work with women who had thrown themselves down in front of eighteen wheelers and all of that uh, and, and and men as well, but at the same moment one of my fellow members of Operation Push, who was in the choir alongside this, uh, died and um, after being dragged, um, uh, he was in a wheelchair, dragged up, up and down the street by people who didn't know that Operation Push or anything else exists. But this, the relationship of what he was trying to do to them is, we can't know what we do not know and therefore when this person is in the position of making a statement for a group, meaning the group that Operation Push represents, well when the person that he is representing is the person who kills him well it's no different from uh, I think it is no different from us looking at our environment and saying well The uh, environment is going to hell. It has gone to hell, and there's nothing I can do about it. But when you're on stage with a a mask on, and you've got a torch that you are torching this metal mask, you are making an environmental statement that uh, the only difference for me is that the audience is... Perhaps a larger out there, but then you define who is your audience because your audience expands, uh, with each person who sees it and carries the message. Um, and so those things become equally as important, and, and so it becomes less important for me to make uh, a political statement as part of a political organization than it does for me to step out on stage in a full costume, whether it be uh, a, military, uh, a military uniform or a 50-foot wedding dress, and say, here I am. And that is a political statement as well. And and so I don't see um, personally distinctions to be made. Um, It depends probably on what is your commitment to the cause uh, and who is paying, who is paying for your commitment to the cause. And those things become important, too, because the economics of of political engagement uh, are as important as what is said or done. Wow. You
1: know, that's a... I've never heard it explained in such in such a way before. I've I've heard some of those concepts, but never in such a elaborate way. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, there's no need to apologize at all. Um, but um, you know, I have to I have to ask. Uh, did you have that opinion when you were in the service? Because I think I'm, it's part of, it's part of probably. I, I might as well give you a, a two layered question. I guess uh... because i honestly i imagine you you know in your in your military uniform and like wearing women's underwear or something just to stir things up <laughs> like you know just to, to think about a, even if it's not your particular fetish or anything like that right. but just to uh... To, to contextualize a conversation that you would have with some other person <laughs> in that in that environment and uh... you know it, it, it's it's somewhat inspiring to think that you draw those conclusions from uh, more or less from some of that experience in, in the military you know I it seems like you got even instead of uh, being dumbed down or or being um, brainwashed into being a normal person you you sort of stepped out even further when you got out of that and you know I'm, I'm thinking about a person who uh, started st- studying the occult and you know, basically faced a great deal of adversity even even in even in the the sects of um, your your spiritual study. So I'm just thinking about how that how that happened. You know, you you came out of there and started start studying the occult out of out of military, you know, experience and I'm just that wow. that, that dichotomy is, is, is really interesting to me.
2: And I've never given it a thought. I mean, you and it sounds good as you're saying it. Strangely, uh, the, the, uh, it, it's odd. I, I feel as if I'm just living a life, and it may be entirely out of control. And I ought to probably have more control because I'm 65 years old and I ought to think about retiring and, and and being nice in my old age and getting ready for death and all of that, but I don't care. But, but back to your question, um, uh, when I was in the military, I know I, I, there was... Well, it's, uh, well, let me think about that for a second. As you were mentioning, uh, in the military... In the military, um, I was I was pretty outrageous. uh, Once I got settled in, uh, and it took um, it took just boot camp. It boot camp. The night I arrived, I was in from 1963 to 1969. Very formative period in American history. Get to boot camp the very ne- early in the morning, like one, two o'clock or something like that. Early in the morning, five o'clock revelry. Meaning you're there, you just got in, and you just got you slept. Just, just, it hasn't had chance to get a shower or anything else because five o'clock is going to come so soon. They tell you five o'clock, you're going to be up. Well, at five o'clock this time. Pounding hammers and 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 actually garbage cans. It sounds like an oh no performance. These garbage cans and all this racket because they know you're new and they could. it is ugly. And it turns out that that very morning, all of the the pipes were frozen. The, the hot water pipes were. Frozen and at great lakes, and it was so weird and I refused to get into a freezing cold shower. They said everybody gets a shower, and you're going to go line up at six uh, five at five oh five for uh chow. I refused to get into this cold shower and that was the last time I ever refused this big six foot tall, and his name was Simon. I shouldn't say his name, but I remember it perfectly he, he he picked me up. Here I am, a 136-pound shrimp. He picks me up, snatches all of my clothes off, and deposits me in this cold shower. Six shower heads aimed on me. And that is how I learned to say, okay, what's next? And so I get into this environment of of men because I'd never been around men before in my whole life. Suddenly, I'm 17 years old, and I'm in an environment where there are just these men, and and, and and they're military people, and we're learning to these things together. Well, at that point, I didn't have a real... I didn't have the tools of behaving normally. I didn't... I, 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 I was simply who I was, and... And and I'm not sure what that was, but I was surrounded by all these people, and somebody telling you what to do every day, what to wear every day, where you, all of this stuff was happening. And I think it's because of my background in Mississippi that I absorbed it and went, just went on with what was happening, and didn't uh, uh, and didn't even think twice about well. um how do I look and feel contrasted to the rest of the people in boot camp? It is after boot camp. And and in fact, in boot camp, everybody... Uh, everybody... It, it, is thrown into huge burning ships, and you learn to depend on each other for life and limb and that sort of thing. So you learn this very close, this bond. After that, then you get to duty stations where a huge amount of that remains, but like at a school when I went from from boot camp to a school, suddenly now I have to think about okay, graduation and all of it. Well, it turns out I loved a school. I became a supervisor there, and and and, and so it, I had more of my way uh, about just about everything. But it is also in in a school where my drill instructor. For the first time in my whole life, a man approached me in a sexual manner, and he was the drill instructor and and tried to take advantage of me and and would have had I, I don't know why, he, but I'll, I can talk about that at another point. But that was the first time that I'd ever even imagined the kinds of feelings that he caused to happen to me this incredible. Incredible human being who was my drill instructor and and because I was an honor student at the school I was on this team that represented the Navy and drills around the country and we went everywhere as we we were were shown and He was just this incredible human being larger than life and there I was to be his object and it was really that was that was a very dynamic moment that at some point we'll we can talking about. But then aboard ship, it gets, um, it gets strange because, uh, aboard ship, of course, life, you're, you're completely removed from the world for nine months, uh, the world that you knew months at a time. And when all of those things are happening and, and uh, were happening to me, and I am the supervisor, well, I was a great supervisor, and it turns out all the people that I supervised loved me. And so, what wound up happening is that, yes, Arvo, we went. me and all my crew would go ashore and fuck together. We would go to into French ports and have and have these uh, 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 and. And bring it all—all these French prostitutes—and and talk about who could last longest with them, and all of this. That's an, that's another life, another part. That who knows how it was happening, but I was I was in it, and it and and so it wasn't as if I was planning it or had or had a sense of myself as being male or or even or even buy or anything like that I was in the moment, and that was for me very good um because I was doing some very very bad things with these I was a sailor in the traditional <laughs> sense of the word babe
1: <laughs> wow <laughs> well um you know i I can't edit some of this stuff out if you if you think it's too private for the general audience, but um I appreciate your confidence. I appreciate your um, your your willingness to be to, to share these these private things. <laughs> well, you asked. <laughs> oh no! Well, I was I was mainly you know I, I was I was asking uh, how the how things came about. Uh, you know afterwards. You know. There was part of that about about you know with the women's underwear and stuff, but i just i, I you're you're someone who um has been who they are for the entire you know you've you've never discovered it doesn't seem like you 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 discovered yourself it seems like you've been this way and you've i still haven't discovered myself, which is why it's so hard to answer your question it it's almost yes, it
2: is this trip this 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 ongoing thing and i it, and and i'm really um, and I guess on, just as I haven't settled into well, how do I feel about this political organization or that one? I don't feel that I have to because I want to be able to feel both sides of the the question, or if there are other. I want to be able to feel what the people are. If someone, the people. But disagree absolutely with with something that I say or do, I want to be able to feel exactly what it is and to hear them rather than to overlay them with what I consider to be a truth. Because uh, I'm still changing, too. The things I'm saying today will not be true five years, I mean, about myself today and the way I feel about whatever. Today will not be true in X amount of time, and I'm willing to be I'm, to be that flexible to change. I have to uh, because uh, because life has has always been that way for me. I can't count on tomorrow.
0: Well, yeah,
1: you strike me as a as definitely an agent of change. I mean, you um, you you do inspire a lot of different ideas in people, whether you whether you seek out to do that or not. Yeah. But, from from my experience, I mean, I've had I've had like forty nine jobs in my life, and I think that uh, a lot of the times uh, I'd be late too much, or I'd just kind of, you know, I'd make a lot of mistakes. And I think that I, I think that my mind just sort of is built to deviating with things. And I identify some of that. You're you've obviously you've had you've had a different career than I have career path than I have, but. Um, you you do have the spirit of someone who throws a, a a who throws a wrench in things, and I I just it's it's fascinating to think of how you interacted <laughs> with people in the uh, in the military that way. So that that was that was more the root of my question, okay. More so than uh you know asking you if you're wearing specifically women's underwear or anything like that. <laughs> but, oh well, I, I did I took I didn't take that. However,
2: um had I had I. I had I any clue that it was easy to find them, I'm sure that I'd probably. be. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> oh, I love the feel of good fabric against. <laughs> 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 but so many things, you know. The only answer is I don't know. And and for me, I know it, it's not difficult to say. Well. I don't know what i or what I did or why I did, but I can tell you the environment around or how I see myself having moved into it um from various perspectives simply because uh of people like you have asked me similar questions and caused me to think about it um other and and I'm happy for that otherwise uh, I'm I'm as lost as anybody else Uh, and 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 uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing I don't mind being lost um uh, because uh for right now um being able to learn uh so much from that has been good for me um and i don't have you know i don't have regrets that well gee i wish i had or that i had not uh i don't have uh the time for that right now uh, because i am doing things that are fun to do and i'm not hesitant to say, well, I don't know why this works that way. Let's go see what we can find out of, about it. So you've had 49 jobs. You've learned a lot of shit, Arvo.
1: <laughs> yes, sir. Um, well, you know, I, I have to ask, um, you, you've you you've studied, you've studied the occult. You've practiced what you would call rituals, even as a child. And I have to ask, um, were you did you have the desire to change the situation around you, or, or was it more of a, uh, a personal dialogue with yourself of just discovering different concepts and uh, how they relate to the outside world? I mean, you you seem like someone who is very adaptable, so uh, I wonder. You know, do you believe in, in magic? Did you want to pull strings on on your outside uh, on your and your personal situation if you're uh studying with with if you're studying the occult and if you're uh you know you're writing in these magazines and I don't know to what extent your knowledge was it could be strictly for poetic reasons that you're you're reading things like that but um i you know i think about somebody uh getting out of the military and and sort of diving into that stuff and it's uh it's curious. It's. It, I'm really curious what your perspective was, and what your uh, maybe your uh, what you expected to get out of out of that was.
2: I didn't. I I didn't have a perspective. I thought of when I went to when I when I started looking at uh, the occult writings and such, it just fit what I was already doing, uh, the ritual and all of that. Uh, religious ritual, as I said, I've always loved. I've loved religious ritual in uh, and being a part of it in churches and that sort of thing. And then um, the idea that that the occult has this wonderful language that has uh, that has many layers and many meanings has always appealed to me. But what it actually does, um, uh, it, what what the practice of the occult uh does uh is is as foreign to me now as it was then in that um there were quite a few oh, in fact the cincinnati journal and the people attached to it did great rituals and all of those things uh what were what the outcome of the rituals were intended to be, I did not know, was not at all interested in. I was interested in well how can the words and the images in the words transform me rather than can the um what would be the outcome of of um of uh say uh rituals uh, uh at new year's eve or rituals in various parts of the country um of parts of the world actually because they were they were literally everywhere now uh, at the reason why i think the that i was not as interested in causing phenomena if you will uh is simply because i've always had phenomena around me um I mentioned just briefly um, the event at this church. Well, um, uh, when 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 I was asthmatic, and that for, for me that was phenomenal in the sense that that whole ritual and the result of all of that. Um, and I was very young. i would never gotten over that. Would I try to create such events uh, in other environments? No, because I don't, I am not committed uh, at this point. Would I uh, later? Like, who knows? But also, I see a path between my, my study in Kundalini and the relation. And because I was studying Kundalini, a reading with the, uh, with the Theosophical Society and with various other groups. And not the least of which was Kundao, martial arts. I mean, and, and, and all of those things should be seen as, as, uh, as one whole for me rather than, say, just the occult, because I see them all fitting into my interest of the day in what I, how I was designing my world. Once you get out of the military, or once I got out of the military in 1969, well, the the world is is all in all a very boring place uh, when you don't have a uh, a theater of war or or some some extreme and exotic place that you have to be uh, that you have to do something very specific in, and that you have uh, a, a communications task in, or that something that isn't related uh, to the military and international affairs, well, if you're in an ordinary city like Chicago or Cleveland, and you're back from six years of that, what do you do to make your life interesting? There really isn't that much reason to live in an environment unless you give it a reason, um, the, uh, and, and what kind of reason then do you did I give it? I, um, I wasn't thinking of it at the time, but I went back to Akron University at Akron University, um, discovered that, jeez, I'm very bored here. I'm very, very, very bored here. Off I went to Cleveland, Ohio, and then, between Akron and Cleveland i all these things these nineteen sixties people are now transforming themselves and I run into this 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 music community and these insane people in Cleveland who were doing um the, all of the the people we talked about years ago the peters and the, and and and, and and Crocus, and all those folks are in the, in the neighborhood, and um, on the weekends you're going down the road, So all of that gives me a reason for my life. It gives me excitement and interest in my life, and it is that personal. It was not meant to be, well, I need to become uh, and very often military people do this. I need to become a responsible citizen. I need to get this degree or to do that. And people do that. I did not, and I don't know why I didn't. Do that. It's, uh, I mean, very irresponsible on my part, yes, because I could have gone directly into schools and done lots of incredible, wonderful things, but I went to school and still got immersed in all the madness of going on in Cleveland and going to anti war rallies. I remember I'm immediately out of the war, but still now I'm going to anti war rallies in Washington, D.C., and places like that. Well, and it is logical then for, um, for on some level for me to then get involved in in kundalini because it's it's this wonderful uh, wonderful yogic in fact all yogas are based in kundalini and the the idea that I could could learn surrender. And that is what Kundalini is at root, about surrender, learn, surrender. And it took me uh, uh, down a very different path. So suddenly I find myself Kundalini and Krishna consciousness and... I'm in it, and I love it. I'm suddenly in this other world and still going to anti-war. I don't know why I was doing this. I was probably out of my mind then, probably still am, but those were the things that were exciting and important to me personally. And at that point, I had not any idea about art, no concerns, no... It was not even on my radar, didn't care. but somehow I got there but those things come in a certain. You're forcing me actually to think about um, about um, cause causality and that sort of thing. And I can't say that I have any reason, uh, and it's embarrassing to say, but I don't have any reason for for for. For writing in occult magazines, except that it was an expression of beautiful things. I mean, beautiful writing, and they rendered it in beautiful calligraphy. And, and once that started, I then got published in at least 20 other magazines, but it was beautiful. The words were beautiful, yet to be read aloud and that was important, and it's still important to me. So it's almost like putting on layers of clothing after the military, I'm putting these other layers on. And, 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 and I'm where I am now, and who knows what that means at, at root. But I can't say that there is something I was hoping to get out of of occult writing, but it was good for me in terms of my own writing and publishing in these beautiful magazines, And, and that kind of beauty has always been for some reason, important to me, I don't know why any of this is important to anybody on the radio, Arvo.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's fascinating to me. You know, I, I, if I remember correctly, you you were very you 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 were a, a very good student. So you're you're going to anti-war rallies and you're studying, you know, the, these obscure. Uh, uh, spiritual concepts and you're doing sound experiments. I mean, I don't know anybody else who has ever done that at the same time. <laughs> so it, it's fascinating to me. If it's not fascinating to other people, I don't care.
2: <laughs> yeah. There, now <I'll> take that. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: but, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of uh, alarmed by your your humility, but uh, it's it's. Uh,
2: well, it isn't, it's just that I don't, I don't, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to pretend that there is some. I have no plan. My life is without plan. And if you met my mother before she died recently, you would have seen what? My mother was a diesel bag. When I met her, she was on a motorcycle. The woman was insane. She was mad. She was crazy. And in fact, just before she died, she said, okay, i die. It's time. And that was the end of that. And she had paid for everything: the burial, the fault the, the 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 long gown that she was buried in, and the <laughs> casket with, with pumps, the mat, and and the uh, the sheriff's uh, escort on the way to the burial. He I mean, had everything. He said, "Okay, I'm dying now. That's it." That's wow. my mama.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I I hate to give you the impression that I'm asking you about the causality of your life. I'm I'm more just intrigued about what it was like, because uh, okay, you know, I, I I I as much as we can dig into ourselves, a lot of us can't, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, well you
2: caused really- me to actually think about some things that that uh, without this kind of talk, I don't I you've been to my house, you could you know that um I don't I would not have put them together, um otherwise before you said, Okay, we're gonna talk about maybe I maybe bars, maybe so and then I said, Oh, Okay, then let me think about some of the and Then I started thinking about it. It forced me to look at well, gee, what a dismal failure my life has been. <laughs> but, but how much fun I'm having living
1: it. Well, That's, I don't know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> call it a failure, but um...
2: ah, well, to come down to my side of town, <laughs> 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 yeah. It, it depends on how you measure
1: it, and that might be part of part of how you've achieved so much. But um, I don't know. I, you know, uh, with another interview that I did, I, I spent a long time. I, t- I typed out all of the questions. There was like six pages of questions, and uh, with this one, it's like I have some notes. I don't. I know I don't need to to uh, really plan it that much out. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I could have helped you prepare better, I guess. But it seems to me that. Uh, maybe I should have helped you prepare less. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do, well, maybe, but uh, when uh, when you said ah, we'll talk about some things, and then I just started. I just—it's almost like focusing your brain or channeling. And so there are all these things on my mind now that that were not in particular order before you said. That you wanted to have this cat. And for that, I am happy because uh, it means that uh, probably this summer I'm going to get together and say, you know, I think we should make a little dance piece, uh, you and me using computers, something that I would like to dance to. <laughs> because Arvo asked me about dance, and I, I did. I love to dance until I got here. The South Side and people down here don't dance. Is that ironic? It makes me crazy. So I have to do my own dance. I just put on, uh, I just pump up uh, anything that I can find and 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 dance around in my silk hat.
1: Well, I have to admit, I'm one of those people that don't dance, but uh, only unless it's uh, unless it's to make myself or other people laugh. But uh,
0: <laughs> you know
1: it. It's uh, you know I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I started out with electronic music, trying to make uh, a kind of industrial dance music and I, I just failed and I failed terribly and it start I, it became uh, experimental noise music before I had ever been listening to noise music. I mean I think that my if I was to be intru- if I was to be influenced by something that caused me to start making, Noise music, it would be something like Atari Teenage Riot or, um, you know, uh, KMFDM or something like that. But, um, <laughs>
2: uh-huh. so, well, so see,
1: I, I do have a little bit of a history with dance music, but not a, uh, a, a fruitful one, I guess.
2: Well, uh, I don't necessarily mean uh, traditional dance music either because, um, I, I, I like to experiment as much on the dance floor as I do with sounds, and uh, way, way way long, long years ago, I actually uh, did some classes with Laban movement this German concept Laban was just, did this ah I mean this movement that 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 is not at all like. This. Driven um, and it's really wonderful. And remember, also back in the in 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 the sixties, when I was even I was going dancing at these various queer bars and uh, gay bars, you know, in Cleveland and Akron, it wasn't about uh, the beat and all of that. Oh no, 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 no! It had much more to do with what people call vogue, but without having necessarily put this. Put electronic music to it, and you find people. Oh, you entered, for instance, um, this place I loved to dance in, in Cleveland. It was called, well, there was Twiggies, but the Orchid Room was right down for me. And I designed a new outfit every weekend, and you arrived in the room, and whatever was playing, and you stood there, and you did movement to it, and it wasn't to the beat at all. And that I love, that dance. And in fact, that I love this phrase: all movement is dance. And so um, I started doing this, this um, kundalini. Um, well, kundalini yoga has all this, this wonderful movement. And so I then added uh, that dance. All movement being dance, and using kundalini
1: movements
2: as dance in the stage environment. Um, uh, I, I
1: consider myself fortunate that um, I I, uh, I dated somebody early, I think I was uh, 20 or 21 or something like that, that introduced me to Butoh, because I find it really fascinating, That, that especially that movement.
2: Yeah, well, see, you <laughs> Okay, now, look, uh, it's midnight, Arvo. Um, We're going to have to continue this another time. I have to be uh fifty five five hours.
1: Okay. Um, can I can I have two more questions? Okay. All right. Uh, one is uh, when did art come into play, and the second one is uh, I know that Ono is doing Alice in Wonderland, did did the soundtrack to Alice in Wonderland, and I wonder what the what the motivation or the uh, approach to that was. What you know? Did you did you think about uh, uh, the Mad Hatter at all when you were making the music? Okay. So Mark Baron,
2: um, uh, uh, I meet Mark Baron as I'm roller skating to my office at the law school one day and he's crashing into, a huge German kid, crashing into everything. And I'm at the fountain to get him. Well, I go, bam! Because, uh, and he says, I have no one to skate with me. Will you skate with me? Okay. We skate and it turns out he has this art show up. Well, And I buy my first piece of art, $450, I pay for this giant piece of art, wonderful piece. Well, as it turns out, Mark then has a... uh, How did... No, we, we then become roommates, and P. Michael... Uh, had at that point decided that Kathy and he and I are going to do this. Mark then, he convinces Mark to buy a guitar and not take lessons. Mark buys this guitar, and Mark now has, we have Mark P. Michael and me because Kathy just disappears. So Mark, as an artist, and his whole family are artists, decides that we're going to have, we're creating Aviogenesis Studios okay, suddenly, I'm dealing with artists. And it didn't matter at that point, for me personally, except that wherever there was art at Northwestern and the law school, we then played these openings. We played uh, both campuses, Chicago and uh, Evanston. And then later, into the skip head because I told I create with mark and 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 in fact we create abiogenesis studio P Michael Travis and mark and and it's in our house and it's really fun because mark knows all this stuff I know nothing he Michael is at the School of the Art Institute so it worked very well um, my ignorance even and so later in 2001 when I go to uh, I w- by then I was going to paris regularly, and I go to Paris and I'm at the Picasso Museum and various other places and then suddenly it hits me in Paris where all of where they show you that art um, the, the evolution of modern idioms, including African masking and all of that and 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 where does uh, where do Picasso's uh concepts originate. Uh, yeah this is mine I got on the next flight came home bought some art materials and the next morning at six o'clock I started painting it was as simple as that 2001 and I've been painting ever since and 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 religiously every morning I do some stuff um so then um uh, now my work is in Tokyo. Uh, my Tokyo show just came down last week, and another um, one man show will go up in Tokyo next april and that's fun and I uh, have another show in europe this at the end of uh, this summer then um the um the next question was about mu and there's much much more of course to talk about art but uh, I think that it, it, we probably should focus it on some aspect of art. What do you want out of it? Because um, my interest in it has as much to do with the uh, with the concept that that uh, I learned in Mississippi or that I grew up with in Mississippi. That um, that art is, art is decadent. Art has the, the art for art's sake really has no airing on um, life to a Mississippian, a uh, black Mississippian, at least. And so that's how I grew up. And so um, any work, any art pieces that you find from Mississippi black artists are functional items. And so that, they became known as art outside of Mississippi, but if in Mississippi, they're functional, And so that has everything to do with why my art looks the way it does rather than this is a piece of work that is good for its for art's sake, not at all. And and I and I, I do like doing that, although I think that art for art's sake is much healthier, much healthier, uh because a thing can be its own good, um, and and rather than a function. But there has to be um, uh, uh, there has to be have to be ideas about that uh behind it. And I think that also with black art, the nice position to be in right now is evolving an idea about what does black art mean. Why should it look like Eurocentric art? Why should it look like because um, your world is different? Shouldn't your art be different? Or if your world isn't different, it's cool. Uh, the, uh, 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 um, that's why force it to be? However, my experiences uh, have been um, have been. Fun in a different fashion than your artists and I and, and I would like to be able to represent that as well. Now the sounds that we use for um, Alice in Wonderland um, were uh, James Fotopoulos <laughs> saw us do heroin, the Lou song, song heroin in Bridgeport, the first time he saw us, and I cannot believe that there I was doing heroin, wearing this dress, and frightening people because I had a machete, Hmm. and I'm singing heroin, and I I absolutely cut myself out of this. Dressed with this machete, and people backed up. They thought that I was losing my mind, <laughs> but I was in it. I, the, the song has always had, had a very strong meaning for me. That's where James Fotopoulos That's where James Fotopoulos decided, "Oh no," should do a part of this soundtrack, and. And so then after that we get the script and and and, and look through well what is happening and it's re- it was uh, the concept is a really really great concept and it goes off to P Michael and P Michael says okay here's what we are going to do and then it uh, turns out we were um, we played the studio out God near I've forgotten the name of it it's way north um near Wisconsin and out of the blue we did we had been think pouring over it in rehearsal and then we said, Why not now? And we did this. Um and then it became a matter of editing. Shannon, Shannon Rose Riley out in California, uh then edited what we did and added her overlay because, as you remember, she was one of the original ONO members. And so um, that's how it came to be. But it is. but And it's actually a lot of fun, and you may have heard that we're going to be doing it later this summer.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I didn't get to see it at Elastic Arts when it happened last time.
2: Okay. Uh, well, this actually will be... Um, Um, I'm I'm not sure how much of it, Yeah, we didn't do all of it there, but uh, here, I think T. Michael wants to do the whole of it, and besides, it's going to have James Fotopoulos' film uh, screening uh, either behind it, or at least with it, depending on how the space works. That'll be fun. Yeah. Okay, You are an insomniac. You are not you love to be up. I am not an insomniac. I am going to bed. It was wonderful to talk to you, darling, but I go.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Travis. Bye-bye. Thank you. Sleep well. <laughs>